An Old Tale of County Armagh In the county of Armagh, there once lived a young man, who had never washed his feet from the day he was born. His name was Danny Graylish but, because people said there was enough dirt on his feet to grow potatoes, they used to call him Spudfoot. His father would often call him, Get up, you great waste of space and wash. But not one inch would he move out of the bed, and never a thought did he give to washing one foot, never mind two. There was no sense at all in talking to the idler. Everyone would constantly be making fun of him because of his dirty feet, but not one bit of attention did he pay to them. In fact, you could have said anything to him, but he had the hide of rhinoceros, and would pay no heed, going his own way despite all. Then, one night the whole family were gathered in the house, sitting by the fire, telling stories, and having great crack, with him in the middle of it. The father took a puff of his pipe and said to him, Danny, my boy, this day you are twenty-one years old this day, and you've never washed a foot from the day you were born. That's a lie, said Danny, sure, didn't I go swimming last May Day, and I couldn't keep my feet out of the water. Well, let me tell you, boy, they were as dirty as ever they were when you came to the shore, said the father. Aye, that's the truth. They were, replied Danny. Precisely. Replied his father, isn't that what I'm telling you? It was never in you to wash your feet. I, and I will never wash them until the day that God calls me, Danny told him. You're a miserable gobshite. A clown. A tinker. A good-for-nothing wastrel. What kind of answer is that? Says the father, who drew back his hand and gave him a great thump with his fist on the boy's jaw. Get out of this. He said, I can't stand you being about me any longer. Danny lifted himself up from the floor and put a hand to his jaw, where he had got the fist. Only that it is you that gave me that blow, said the boy, you'd never hit another blow for the rest of your life. His eyes were filled with rage and his voice with anger as he stormed out of the house. Just a little way off from the gable of the house there was the finest rath in Ireland, with a fine grass bank that ran around it, and Danny would often sit there by himself. He stood, half leaning against the gable wall of the house, looking up into the sky and watching the beautiful white moon over his head. After he was standing there for a couple of hours, he said quietly to himself, It's my fault that I am not away from this place before now. By God, I would rather be any other place in the world than here. Och, sure, it's well for you, white moon, going around and around just as you wish, and no man can hold you back. I wish, I was the same as you. Hardly were the words out of his mouth when he heard a great noise coming toward him, like the sound of many people running together, talking and laughing and having fun, and the sound went by him like a whirl of wind. He listened attentively to it as it went into the wrath, well, by my soul, says he, but you're all sounding in good form, and I'll follow your example. Although he did not know it at the time, it was the fairy host that had passed him by, and he followed them into the wrath. It was there that he heard whooping, hollering, whistling, and the cheering, and every one of them crying out as loud as he could, my horse, and bridle and saddle. Now, that's not a bad shout, said Danny, sure, I'll imitate you. Cupping his hand to his mouth, he cried out as loudly as they did, my horse, and bridle, and saddle. My horse, and bridle, and saddle. In an instant, a fine horse with a bridle of gold, and a saddle of silver was standing before him and leapt upon it. The moment he was on its back Danny clearly saw that the wrath was full of horses, and of little people riding on them. One of these little people turned to him and asked, Are you coming with us tonight, Spudfeet? He was surprised to hear himself call this, nevertheless, he answered, I am sure. 
Well, if you are, come along, said the little man, and he rode out with them, riding like the wind, faster than the fastest horse ever you and faster than the fox with the hounds at his tail. The cold winter's wind that was blowing ahead of them, they overtook, and the cold winter's wind that was behind them, could not have overtake them. They made no stop or slowing down that race until they eventually came to the brink of the sea. Then every one of them cried out, High up! High up! In a flash, they were high up in the air, and before Danny had time to think about where he was, they were down again on dry land and were going like the wind. Finally, they stood, and one of the little people asked Danny, Spud Feet, do you know where you are now? Not a clue, replied Danny. You're in Rome, Spud Feet said he, but we're going much further than that. The daughter of the King of France is to be married tonight, and she the most handsome woman that ever the sun shone upon, and we must do our best to bring her with us if we can carry her off. You must come with us, so that we may be able to put the young girl up behind you on the horse, when we bring her away, for it's not permitted for her to sit behind us. But you are flesh and blood, and she can take a good grip of you, to prevent her from falling off the horse. Are you satisfied, Spud Feet, and will you do what we're telling you? Sure, why shouldn't I be satisfied? Said Danny. I'm satisfied, surely, and anything that you tell me to do I'll do it, but where are we now? You're in Rome now, Spud Feet, said the fairy. In Rome, is it? Said Danny. Indeed, and no lie. Sure, I'm glad of that, for the parish priest that we had was suspended and lost his parish some time ago. Now, I'll go to the Pope and get a bull from him that will put the priest back in his own place again. Oh, Spud Feet, said the fairy, sure, you can't do that. You won't be allowed into the palace and, anyhow, we can't wait for you, for we're in a terrible hurry. I'll not go with you one foot, said Danny, until I go to the Pope. All of you can go on ahead without me if you want. But I'll not move an inch until I go and get the pardon for my parish priest. Spud Feet, have you completely lost your senses, man dear? You can't go, and there's your answer for you now. I tell you, you can't go, so settle yourself. Can you not just go on and leave me here behind you? Said Danny, then, when you come back, can you not just throw the wee girl up behind me? But we want you at the palace of the King of France, said the fairy, and you have to come with us now. No. The devil a step I'll take, I've told you, stressed Danny, until I get the pardon for the priest. I tell you, he's the most honest and the most pleasant man in Ireland. Another now stepped forward and spoke, Now, don't you lop be so hard on spud feet. Sure, that boy's a kind boy, and he has a good heart. If he doesn't want to come without the Pope's bull in his hand, then we must do our best to get it for him. He and I will go into the Pope together, and you all can wait here for us. Thank you, a thousand times, an excited Danny said with a huge grin. I'm ready to go with you now, for this priest is the nicest and most generous man in the world. You just talk too much, Spud Feet, said the fairy leader, but come along with me now. Get off your horse and take my hand. Danny dismounted and took the fairy's hand, and he heard the little man say a couple of words that he did not understand. Then, before he could get his thoughts together, he found himself in a room with the Pope. That night the Pope was sitting up late reading a book that he liked, and he was sitting on a big soft armchair with his two feet on the chimney board. He had a fine fire going in the grate, and a little table standing at his elbow and a drop of hot whiskey with sugar in a little glass. He was so involved in his book that he never felt Danny coming up behind him. Now Spud Feet, said the fairy leader, go and tell him that unless he gives you that bull, you'll set the room on fire. 
And, if that fellow refuses it to you, I'll spurt fire all around the place out of my mouth, until he thinks the place is really in a blaze, and I'll bet you that he'll be quick enough then to give you that pardon. Danny went up to the Pope and put his hand on his shoulder, with a jump of fright the Pope turned around, and when he saw Danny standing behind him, he almost fainted. Don't be afraid, big man, said Danny comfortingly, we have a parish priest at home, and some blackguard told your honor an awful lie about him, and he was a broken man. But, let me tell you that he's the most decent man ever your honor came across, and there's not a man, woman, or child in the entire parish that doesn't love him. Hold your wished, you wee imp! snapped the Pope angrily. Where did you come from, and how did you get in here at all, for I have a lock on the door? What is it you want of me? Didn't I come in through the keyhole? Danny told him. And I'd be very much obliged if your honor would do just what I'm asking of you. The Pope cried out in fear, Where are all my people? Where are my servants? Seamus. Sean. I'm killed. I'm robbed. Danny had put his back to the door of the to prevent his escape, and he was afraid to go anywhere near Danny, so there was little choice Pope but to listen to the story. Danny, however, was the type of man who could not tell a story briefly and plainly, because his speech was naturally slow and coarse, and this made the Pope angry. So, when Danny had finished his story, the Pope vowed that he would never pardon a priest, and he threatened that he would have Danny put to death for his audacity in bursting in upon him uninvited. He immediately began to cry out for his servants to attend him, but there was a lock on the inside of the door which would prevent them coming into the room, whether they heard him or not. Unless you give me a bull under your hand and seal, granting the priest his pardon, I will burn this house of yours to the ground, Danny threatened. The ferryman, whom the Pope had not seen, now began to blow fire and flame out of his mouth, and the Pope panicked as he thought that the room was all ablaze. He cried out, Oh, stop your destruction. I'll give you the pardon you want. I'll give you anything you want if you would stop your fire, and don't burn my house. The ferryman stopped the fire, and the Pope had to sit down at his desk and write a full pardon for the priest and giving him back his old parish. When he had it written, he put his name under it on the paper, and he placed it in Danny's hand. Thank you, Danny said humbly, I will never come here again to disturb you, goodbye. Don't even think about it, replied the Pope, for if you do, I'll be ready for you, and you won't get away from me so easily again. I will have you shut up in a dark prison, from which you will never get out. Don't worry, I won't be coming again, Danny insisted and, before he could say another word, the ferryman spoke some words, caught Danny's hand again, and they left. Danny found himself among the other fairies, and his horse waiting for him. Now, spud feet, they said, you have caused us a great delay, and us in such a hurry. But, no matter, come on now and don't be playing such a trick again, for we won't wait for you the next time. I'm satisfied, now, said Danny, and I thank you all. But tell me, where are we going? We're going to the palace of the King of France, they told him, and if we can, we are going to carry off his daughter. With one voice they said, Rise up, horse. And the horses began leaping, and running, and prancing. The cold wind of winter that was before them they overtook, and the cold wind of winter that was behind them did not overtake them. As they raced on their journey there was no obstruction to their progress, and they never stopped once until they came as far as the palace of the King of France. On their arrival, they all got off their horses and not one of them said, and in a moment, they were all lifted up. Danny now found himself and his companions in the palace, where there was a great feast in progress. At this feast, 
Every nobleman and other men of rank were present and dressed in colorful silk and satin with gold and silver jewelry. In that hall the night was as bright as the day with all the lamps and candles that were lit, causing Danny to shut his eyes because of the brightness. When he opened them again and looked out at the crowded hall, he thought that he had never seen anything as fine as all that he saw there. There were a hundred tables spread out, and each was filled with meat and drink, flesh meat and cakes and sweetmeats and wine and ale and every drink that ever a man could think of. The musicians were at the two ends of the hall, and they were playing the sweetest music that a man's ear had ever heard. In the center of the hall, there were young women and fine young men dancing and turning, and going around so quickly and so lightly, that it caused Danny's head to spin, just by looking at them. There were more people playing tricks, and others making fun and laughing, for such a feast as this had not been held in France for twenty years. This was special because the old king had no children alive but the one daughter, who was to be married to the son of another king that night. For three days the feast had been going, and on the third night, she was to be married. That was the night that Danny and the fairy host had come in the hope that they could carry off the king's daughter with them. Danny and his companions were standing together at the head of the hall, where there was a fine altar dressed up, and two bishops behind it waiting patiently to marry the girl, as soon as the appointed time arrived. Nobody could see the fairies, for they had spoken their charm of invisibility as they came in, and it was as if they were not there at all. Tell me which of these people is the king's daughter, said Danny, as he became increasingly used to the noise and the light about him. Don't you see her there, in front of you? said the small fairy that was standing at his side. Danny looked to the place where the little man was pointing with his finger, and there he saw the loveliest woman that ever he had seen. The rose and the lily were in her face, and you could not tell which of them had dominance, while her entire form was smooth and slender, and her hair was falling from her head in tresses of gold. Her garments and dress were woven with gold and silver, and the bright stone that was in the ring on her hand was as shining as the sun. Danny was almost made speechless by the loveliness and beauty of the woman before him, but when he looked at her again, he noticed that she was crying and that there were tracks of tears in her eyes. It can't be, said Danny, that she's so sad when everybody around her is so full of joy and merriment. Aye, she is very sad, said the little man, for she is being forced to marry against her will, and to a man, she does not love. The king was going to give her to him three years ago when she was only fifteen, but she said she was too young, and asked him to leave her as she was. The king gave her a year's grace, and when that year was ended, he gave her another year's grace, and then another. But, after that, he would not give her another week or a day longer. Tonight, she is eighteen years old, and it's time for her to marry. But, indeed, says he, and he twisted his mouth in an ugly way, she'll marry no king's son if I can help it. Danny pitied the beautiful young lady when he heard that, and he was heartbroken to think that it would be necessary for her to marry a man she did not like, or what was worse, to take a nasty fairy man for a husband. Although he said nothing, he could not help cursing the ill fortune that had been laid out for himself, because he was helping the people that were to snatch her away from her home and from her father. Nonetheless, he began to think about what he could do to save her, but he could think of nothing. If I could only give her some help and relief, he told himself, I wouldn't care whether I was alive or dead but I see nothing that I can do for her. He was looking on when the king's son came up to her and asked her for a kiss, but she turned her head away from him. Danny was filled with great sorrow for her, especially when he saw the young man taking her by the soft white hand and drawing her out to dance. They went dancing around the floor near to where Danny stood, and he could plainly see that there were tears in her eyes. 
When the dancing was over, the old king, her father, and her mother the queen came up and said that this was the right time to marry her. The bishop was ready, and all had been prepared, and it was time to put the wedding ring on her finger and give her to her husband. The old king laughed out loud. Well, friends, he said, the night is nearly over, but my son will make a great night for himself, and I'll bet you that he won't be rising early in the morning. Well, maybe he will, said the fairy man in Danny's ear, or maybe he won't go to bed, at all. Ha, ha, ha. Danny did not answer him, for he was busy watching to see what they would do then. He watched as the king took the young man by the hand, and the queen took her daughter, and they all went up together to the altar, with all the lords and great people following them. When they came near the altar and were no more than about four yards from it, the little fairy man stretched out his foot in front of the girl, and she fell. Before she was able to get up again, he threw something that was in his hand upon her, saying a couple of words, and immediately the girl was gone from the scene. Nobody could see her, for those words made her invisible. The little man had taken her and lifted her up behind Danny, and not a person saw them as they moved through the hall until they came to the door. The place was in a chaos with people screaming and crying as they searched and pulled the place apart, seeking the lady who had disappeared in front of their eyes. The fairy folk were now out of the palace door, without being seen by anyone and then all called out, My horse, my bridle, and saddle. My horse, my bridle, and saddle. Shouted Danny and in an instant, the horse was standing ready and waiting for him. Now, jump up, spud a feet, said the little man, and put the lady behind you, and we will be going. It won't be long until morning. Danny raised her up on the horse's back and leapt up in front of her, calling out, Move on horse. His horse, and the other horses with him, went in at full pace until they came to the sea. Hi over, Cap. Said every man of them. Hi over, Cap. Said Danny, and immediately the horse rose under him, cutting a path through the clouds, and came down in Ireland. They did not stop there but went racing off to the place where Danny's house and the wrath stood. And when they came as far as that, Danny turned and caught the young girl in his two arms and leapt off the horse. I call out and bless you to myself, in the name of God. He said and even before he had finished speaking the horse fell and immediately changed into the beam of a plow from which they had made it. Simultaneously, every other horse they had was returned to its original form. Some of them were riding on an old brush, and some on a broken stick, and more on a ragweed, or a hemlock stalk. The good people called out together when they heard what Danny said, Oh, spud feet, you clown, you thief, no good fortune will come your way now. Why did you play that trick on us? But they had no power at all to carry off the girl after Danny had consecrated her to himself. Oh, spud feet, isn't that a nice turn you did us, and we were so kind to you? What good have we now out of our journey to Rome and to France? Never mind now, you clown, but you'll pay us back another time for this deceit. Believe us you'll reap of it. He'll have no life with that young girl, said the little man that was talking to him in the palace before that, and as he said these words, he moved over to her and struck her a slap on the side of the head. Now, says he, she'll not be able to talk any more. So, now, spud feet, what good will she be to you when she'll be dumb? It's time for us to go, but you'll remember us, spud feet. When he said that he stretched out his two hands and before Danny was able to give an answer, he and the rest of them were gone into the wrath out of his sight, and he saw them no more. He turned to the young woman and said to her, Thanks be to God, they're gone. Would you not sooner stay with me than with them? She did not answer. She's still troubled and grieving, Danny told himself, 
and he spoke to her again, I'm afraid that you must spend this night in my father's house, lady, and if there is anything that I can do for you, tell me, and I'll be your servant. The beautiful girl remained silent, but there were tears in her eyes, and her face was white and red after each other. Lady said Graylish, tell me what you would like me to do now. I never belonged at all to that lot of fairy folk who carried you away with them. I am the son of an honest farmer, and I went with them without knowing it. If I am able to send you back to your father, I'll do it, and I pray you make any use of me now that you may wish. He looked into her face, and he saw the mouth moving as if she was going to speak, but there came no word from it. It cannot be, said Danny, that you are dumb. Did I not hear you speaking to the king's son in the palace tonight? Or has that devil made you really dumb, when he struck his nasty hand on your jaw? The girl raised her white smooth hand, and laid her finger on her tongue, to show him that she had lost her voice and power of speech, and the tears ran from the ducks in her two eyes like streams, and Danny's own eyes were not dry. Although he may have rough on the outside, he had a soft heart, and could not stand the sight of the young girl in such an unhappy condition. He began thinking to himself what he could do, and he did not like the idea of bringing her home with himself to his father's house. He fully realized that they would not believe that he had been in France and brought back with him the king of France's daughter, and he feared that they might make fun of her. The girl bent her head, to show him that she was obliged, and she gave him to understand that she was ready to follow him any place he was going. We will go to the priest's house, then, said he, he is under an obligation to me, and will do anything I ask him. They went to the priest's house, and the sun was just rising when they came to the door. Danny knocked it hard, and as early as it was the priest was up and opened the door himself. He wondered when he saw Danny and the girl, for he was certain that they had come to him wanting to be married. Danny, aren't you a nice boy that you can't wait until ten o'clock or twelve, but decide to come to me at this hour, looking to get married, you and your girlfriend. You ought to know that I'm suspended and that I can't marry you or can't marry you lawfully. But, hold on. Said the priest as he looked again at the young girl, in the name of God, who have you here? Who is she, and where did you get her? Father, said Danny, you can marry me, or anybody else, from now on if you wish. But I'm not looking to be married. I came to you now, just to ask you, if you would please give a room in your house where this young lady can stay. And with that, he drew out the papal bull and gave it to the priest to read. The priest took it, and read it, in disbelief but took careful notice of the writing and the seal, and he had no doubt, that it was a legitimate document from the Pope's own hand. Where did you get this? He asked Danny, and the hand he held the paper in, was trembling with wonder and joy. Oh, now. Said Danny, airily enough, I got it last night in Rome. I remained a couple of hours in the city when I was on my way to bring this young lady, daughter of the King of France, back with me. The priest looked at him as though he had ten heads on him but without putting another question to him, the priest asked them both to come in. When they entered the house, the priest shut the door, brought them into the parlor, and bade them be seated. Now, Danny, said he, tell me the truth. Where did you get this bull, and who is this young lady, and are you completely out of your senses, or are you only making a joke out of me? I'm not telling you a word of a lie, nor am I making a joke of you, said Danny but it was from the Pope himself that I got the paper, and it was from the palace of the King of France that I carried off this lady, and she is the daughter of the King of France. He began to tell his whole story to the priest, surprising the priest so much surprised that he could not help calling out at times or clapping his hands together. 
When Danny said that from what he saw he thought the girl was not happy with the marriage that was going to take place in the palace before he and the fairy folk broke it up, there came a red blush into the girl's cheek, and that persuaded him that she would sooner be as she was, and as badly as she was, than be to a man she hated. When Danny said that he would be very thankful to the priest if he would keep her in his own house, the kind man said he would do that as long as Danny wanted, but that he did not know what they ought to do with her, because they had no means of sending her back to her father again. Danny made it clear that he was uneasy for the same reason, but that he saw nothing else to do but to keep quiet until they should find some opportunity of doing something better. They decided between themselves that the priest should say that she was his brother's daughter, who had come to visit him from another county. They also agreed that the priest should tell everybody that she was dumb and do his best to keep everyone away from her. They told the young girl what they intended to do, and she showed her support through her eyes. Danny then went home and, when his people asked him where he had been, said that he was asleep at the foot of the ditch and had passed the night there. There was great surprise among the neighbors when the honest priest showed them all the Pope's bull and regained his old position. Everyone rejoiced at the news because they could never see any fault at all in that honest man, except that every now and again he would have too much of a liking for a drop of whiskey. But no one could say that he ever saw him in a state that he could not utter here's to your health, as well as any other man in the land. But if they were surprised to see the priest back again in his old place, they were much more surprised at the arrival of a girl so suddenly to his house without anyone knowing where she was from, or what business she had there. Some of the people said that everything was not as it ought to be, and others that it was not possible that the Pope gave the parish back to the priest after taking it from him before, on account of the complaints about his drinking. And there were more of them, too, who said that Danny was not at all like the same man that he was before, and that it was a great surprise how he was going every day to the priest's house. But the one thing they could not quite understand was how the priest had come to respect for him. There was seldom a day passed but Danny would not go to the priest's house and have a talk with him, and as often as he would come, he used to hope to find the young lady well again, and able to speak. Alas! She remained dumb and silent, without relief or cure. Since she had no other means of talking, she communicated by moving her hand and fingers, winking her eyes, opening and shutting her mouth, laughing or smiling, and a thousand other signs, so that it was not long until they came to understand each other very well. Danny was always thinking about how he should send her back to her father, but there was no one to go with her and he himself did not know what road to take, for he had never been out of his own country before the night he brought her away with him. Nor had the priest any better knowledge than he, but when Danny asked him, he wrote three or four letters to the king of France, and gave them to buyers and sellers of wares, who used to be going from place to place across the sea. They all went astray, however, and not one ever came to the king's hand. This was the way they were for many months, and Danny was falling deeper and deeper in love with her every day, and it was plain to himself and the priest that she also liked him. The boy soon began to fear that the king would, somehow, hear where his daughter was and would take her away from him, and he pleaded the priest to write no more letters, but to leave the matter to God. In this manner, a year passed until there came a day when Danny was lying by himself on the grass on the last day of October, and he was thinking about everything that happened to him from the day that he had gone with the fairy folk across the sea. He suddenly remembered that it was one November night that he was standing at the gable of the house when the whirlwind came, and the fairy folk in it, and he said to himself, We have a November night again today and I'll stand in the same place I was last year until I see will the good people come again. Perhaps I might see or hear something that would be useful to me and might bring back Mary's voice, that being the name Danny and the priest had given the king's daughter, for neither of them knew her right name. 
he told his intentions to the priest, and the priest gave him his blessing. Danny then went to the old rath when the night was darkening, and he stood with his bent elbow leaning on a grey old flag, waiting until the middle of the night should come. The moon rose slowly, and it was like a knob of fire behind him, and there was a white fog which was raised up over the fields of grass and all damp places, through the coolness of the night after a great heat in the day. The night was calm as is a lake when there is not a breath of wind to move a wave on it, and there was no sound to be heard but the hum of the insects that would go by from time to time, or the hoarse sudden scream of the wild geese, as they passed from lake to lake, half a mile up in the air over his head, or the sharp whistle of the golden and green plovers, rising and flying, flying and rising, as they do on a calm night. There were thousands upon thousands of bright stars shining over his head, and there was a little frost, which left the grass under his foot white and crisp. He stood there for an hour, for two hours, for three hours, and the frost increased greatly so that he heard the breaking of the daisies under his foot every time he moved. He was thinking, in his own mind, at last, that the fairy folk would not come that night, and that it was as good for him to return back again, when he heard a sound far away from him, coming towards him, and he recognized what it was at the first moment. The sound increased, and at first, it was like the beating of waves on a stony shore, and then it was like the falling of a great waterfall, and at last, it was like a loud storm in the tops of the trees, and then the whirlwind burst into the wrath, and the fairy folk was in it. It all went by him so suddenly that he lost his breath with it, but he came to himself on the spot, and he began listening to what they would say. Scarcely had they gathered into the wrath until they all began shouting, and screaming, and talking amongst themselves. Then, each one of them cried out, My horse, and bridle, and saddle. My horse, and bridle, and saddle. Danny now took courage and called out as loudly as any of them, My horse, and bridle, and saddle. My horse, and bridle, and saddle. But before the word was out of his mouth, another man cried out, Oh! Spud feet, my boy, are you here with us again? How are you coming on with your woman? There's no use in your calling for your horse tonight, I bet you won't make fools of us again. It was a good trick you played on us last year. It was, said another man, he won't do it again. Isn't he a smart lad, the same lad? To take a woman with him that never said as much to him as, how do you do? Since this time last year, says the third man. Perhaps he just likes to be looking at her, said another voice. And if the Egid only knew that there's a herb growing up by his own door and to boil it and give it to her, she'd be well, said another voice. That's true. He is an Egid. Don't be bothering your head with him, we'll be going. We'll leave the gobshite as he is. And with that, they rose up into the air, and out with them the way they came. They left poor Danny standing where they found him and the two eyes going out of his head, looking after them and wondering. He did not stand long till he went back, and he thought about all he saw and heard, and wondering whether there was really a herb at his own door that would bring back the voice of the king's daughter. It can't be, he told himself, that they would tell it to me if there was any truth in it, but perhaps the fairy man didn't think before he let the words slip out of his mouth. I'll search as soon as the sun rises, to see if there's any plant growing beside the house except thistles and dockings. He went home, and as tired as he was, he did not sleep a wink until the sun rose in the morning. He got up then, and it was the first thing he did to go out and search through the grass round about the house, trying to see if he could eat any herb that he did not recognize. And, indeed, he was not long searching until he saw a large, strange herb that was growing up just by the gable of the house. He went over to it, and examined it closely, and saw that there were seven little branches coming out of the stalk, 
and seven leaves growing on every branch of them and that there was a white sap in the leaves. It's very wonderful, he said to himself, that I never noticed this herb before. If there's any virtue in a herb at all, it ought to be in such a strange one as this. He drew out his knife, cut the plant and carried it into his own house, stripped the leaves off it and cut up the stalk, and there came a thick, white juice out of it, as there comes out of the dandelion when it is bruised, except that the juice was more like oil. He put it in a little pot and a little water in it and laid it on the fire until the water was boiling, and then he took a cup, filled it half up with the juice, and put it to his own mouth. It came into his head then that perhaps it was a poison that was in it, and that the good people were only tempting him that he might kill himself with that trick or put the girl to death without meaning it. He put down the cup again, raised a couple of drops on the top of his finger, and put it to his mouth. It was not bitter and, indeed, had a sweet, agreeable taste. He grew bolder then, and drank the full of a thimble of it, and then as much again, and he never stopped till he had half the cup drunk. He fell asleep after that and did not wake till it was night, and there was great hunger and great thirst on him. He had to wait, then, until the day returned. But he determined as soon as he should wake in the morning, that he would go to the king's daughter and give her a drink of the juice of the herb. As soon as he got up in the morning, he went over to the priest's house with the drink in his hand, and he never felt himself so bold and valiant and spirited and light, as he was that day, and he was quite certain that it was the drink he drank which made him so hearty. When he came to the house, he found the priest and the young lady within, and they were wondering greatly why he had not visited them for two days. He told them all his news and said that he was certain that there was great power in that herb and that it would do the lady no hurt, for he tried it himself and got good from it, and then he made her taste it, for he vowed and swore that there was no harm in it. Danny handed her the cup, and she drank half of it, and then fell back on her bed, and a heavy sleep came on her, and she never woke out of that sleep until the next morning. Danny and the priest sat up the entire night with her, waiting until she should awaken, and they were between hope and despair, between the expectation of saving her and fear of hurting her. She awoke at last when the sun had gone half its way through the day. She rubbed her eyes and looked like a person who did not know where she was. She was like one astonished when she saw Danny and the priest in the same room with her, and she sat up doing her best to collect her thoughts. The two men were anxious to see would she speak, or would she not speak, and when they remained silent for a couple of minutes, the priest said to her, Did you sleep well, Mary? She answered him, I slept well, thank you. No sooner did Danny hear her talking than he gave a shout of joy and ran over to her and fell on his two knees and said, A thousand thanks to God, who has given you back your voice, my love, speak again to me. The lady answered him that she understood it was he who had boiled that drink for her and gave it to her. She was thankful to him from her heart for all the kindness he had shown her since the day she first came to Ireland, and that he might be certain that she never would forget it. Danny was ready to die with satisfaction and delight. Then they brought her food and she ate with a good appetite, and was merry and joyous and never stopped talking with the priest while she was eating. After that Danny went home to his house and stretched himself on the bed and fell asleep again, for the force of the herb was not all spent, and he passed another day and a night sleeping. When he awoke, he went back to the priest's house and found that the young lady was in the same state and that she was asleep almost since the time that he left the house. He went into her chamber with the priest, and they remained there watching her until she awoke the second time, and she had her voice back, as well as ever, and Danny was overjoyed. The priest put food on the table again, and they ate together. After this, Danny used to come to the house from day to day, 
and the friendship that was between him and the king's daughter increased, because she had no one to speak to except Danny and the priest, and she liked Danny best. He had to tell her the way about standing by the wrath when the good people came, and how he went into the Pope, and how the fairy man blew fire out of his mouth, and every other thing that he had done until the time that the good people carried her off. When he had told all, he would have to begin it again from the start, and she never tired of listening to him. When they had been that way for another half year, she said that she could wait no longer without going back to her father and mother. She was certain that they were grieving terribly for her, and that it was a shame for her to leave them in such grief when it was in her power to go to them. The priest did all he could to keep her with them for another while, but without any effect, and Danny spoke every sweet word that came into his head, trying to get win her over to the idea and to coax her and make her stay as she was, but it was no good. She was determined that she would go, and no man alive would make her change her intention. She had not much money, but only two rings that were on her hand, when the good people carried her away, and a gold pin that was in her hair, and golden buckles that were on her little shoes. The priest took and sold them and gave her the money, and she said that she was ready to go. She left her blessing and farewell with the priest and Danny and departed. She was not long gone before a great grief and melancholy began to come over Danny that he knew he would soon die unless he could be near her, and he followed her. After being restored to her parents and they, having heard the whole story, permitted the princess and Danny to marry. They lived a long, married life together with neither care, sickness nor sorrow, mishap nor misfortune until the hour of their death.